Hey everyone, welcome to Radical Normal. I'm Andre and I'm here with Michael and on today's episode we'll be discussing Exodus chapters 5 and 6. Hope you guys enjoy the discussion. You know, in previous seasons we've talked so much about coffee and I just got to say since that point I've also become a huge, 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 as Andre saw when we recorded in person last time, huge bubbly fan, which is like a sparkling water, way better than LaCroix. And then currently, instead of coffee, I'm drinking a Celsius, which is like another energy drink. Peach vibe, sparkling white peach, limited edition. Also pretty good. But I got to say, big bubbly fan, the grapefruit is awesome. Andre right now is probably thinking this is the worst introduction to a podcast episode he's ever heard. But I'm okay with that because I'm going to support the things that I like. Dude, you got to be careful with those uh, energy drinks. You're going to be a little too dependent on them now that you're starting uh, to have law school every day and wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning. Whoa, whoa, not, 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 four. We get, not 4. We get a little bit more sleep, a little bit more sleep than that. But, uh, yeah, this morning early on, I was reading uh, Exodus 5 and 6 for today. Happy to hop in. Uh, do you want me to just give a little recap of last week? Um, I guess everybody listening has had a week since the last one. We've actually had longer than a week since three and four. So should I give a recap or do you want to? I got it. Um, so recap last last week's episode in chapter three, we saw Moses uh, speak uh, to God on what... Uh, Michael basically told us was essentially Mount Sinai, which would be renamed as that. Uh, we saw a lot of the characteristics of God, and we saw, you know, this relationship between them, um, where God is to speak through Moses. And then in, in chapter four, we see um, also, um, you know, through Aaron as well, uh, because of Moses's, uh, you know, speaking impediments. But we see this relationship begin to develop between them, where God is basically showing his about his character. And telling Moses that he wants him to go to Pharaoh and um, basically is giving him a play by play of how, uh, you know, God of God of his of his plan to um, essentially have his people freed. And then we also lastly see uh, some of the signs that Moses will be able to use um, to basically um, show both Pharaoh as well as um, God's people, you know, that God is the one who sent him. And then we get to chapter five. And six today, where we will basically, um, spoiler alert, get to see you know the start of this of this journey. Sweet, yeah. And so, just like Andre said, chapter four, we see Moses and Aaron are going to be, and we're going to kind of see it go back and forth as we get into the plague narrative starting next week. But Moses and Aaron, both kind of God's spokespeople for for Yahweh to the people and to Pharaoh, and now they're going to Pharaoh. And so Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, verse one, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, and Lord is L-O-R-D in the lower, in the smaller caps. So we get Yahweh here. Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? So this is a really interesting verse, I think, because a lot of people like to just take let my people go and apply it to whatever cause they have whether it be a true liberation cause, whether it have to do with slavery or whether it just be like a joke or something about war, for example. But it's not, it's not, this is not a story about God just freeing people. It's God bringing his people into a new type of service, which I'm going to talk about later in the episode. But 
this is uh, Moses and Aaron kind of kicking off the narrative where we're going to see that the battle's not between Moses and Pharaoh. The battle is between Yahweh and the Egyptian gods, which is going to be even more apparent in the plagues when a lot of the plagues line up with different types of Egyptian gods, such as how happy was the god of fertility and closely tied to the Nile River. And so we're going to see that battle unfold as we get into the story. Yeah, and then, you know, one other point I, I wanted to make about, you know, this first couple verses um, is that, you know, we kind of see this continuation of um, kind of this idea that we saw in, in chapter three and four, where um, basically, um, you know, God tells Moses that he's going to instruct Moses to go and talk to Pharaoh, and he's going to give him a specific set of instructions of what to say. The first of which Michael just said that, you know, um, you know, he wants them to let them go and have a feast in the wilderness. He wants to have three days time. Uh, so like kind of this, this um, you know, what to say was already told to Moses by God. Um, so they could go and worship. Um, and this idea is expressed to Pharaoh uh, by Moses. And then Pharaoh instantly in verse, verse two says, you know, who is the Lord that I should even obey him? Um, which is very interesting, especially seeing this discussion between Moses and Pharaoh, um, because you can you kind of get the idea that, you know, neither of them really understands the magnitude of, of this command. Uh, you know, on Pharaoh's part, he says, why should I even obey? Um, and we're going to see that, you know, he really just thinks that this is a matter of laziness, wanting to get out of work, wanting to flee potentially, um, thinks that there's some other schemes behind this, doesn't really see the magnitude of, you know, who's giving this command. Um, and then also, um, you know, we had seen the instructions of how Moses was to, um, you know, introduce or, um, say of, of who the Lord was. Um, and then, you know, we see that Moses says, you know, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. You know, he's kind of saying, you know, making this um, kind of saying like this relationship that he's had, this experience that he's had. And we see that Pharaoh doesn't really understand that, you know, this Yahweh, this God, um, the Lord who Moses is referring to here, um, that it has sent Moses out, that's giving these instructions, you know, is really, um, you know, God over all the world, you know, uh, Pharaoh is kind of a little bit confused, doesn't really know who he's even talking about, why he should listen, um, you know, and when asked, you know, Moses didn't, you know, follow the blueprint of, um, you know, saying exactly who God instructed him to say, to tell him, you know, I am who I am. And then we're kind of at this place where now, you know, Pharaoh's really thinking this is kind of a laziness thing. Um, this is them wanting to flee, like I said. Um, and, you know, despite it not being that, we kind of see the repercussion of that. We see that as God had told Moses in chapters three and four, that Pharaoh would have a hardened heart, that he wouldn't want to listen. He wouldn't want to let them go and worship in the wilderness. Um, and we kind of begin to see that uh, unravel as well. Yeah, that's really good. And I actually want to go right back, uh, Andre, to something you just said. So talking about uh, so Andre was talking about how um, who is the Lord? Pharaoh's not doesn't it's not like basically to us it's like well he's God of course that's who's speaking and like Andre said Pharaoh doesn't recognize the out the outer authority but why is that? So Egypt had their own gods and in that day like in the ancient Near East gods were thought to be territorial so Yahweh would have seemed like a foreign deity to Egypt to Pharaoh like not just like oh we've never heard of him but like 
that's not the God of this land. He might be the God of your land, but he's not the God of our land. So they're questioning like, who is this God? It doesn't belong here. As we're going to see, of course he does. So that's one point. Another thing that's really cool is Tim Chester. So he wrote a commentary on Exodus that's more oriented towards teaching, application, that sort of thing. But he talks about how before, so Pharaoh in, in verse two says, who is the Lord? Before this point in the story, we haven't seen Yahweh say explicitly, I am the Lord yet. But if you look at verse 2 of chapter 6, verse 6, verse 7, verse 8, 29, and following. So if you just read the rest of the book of Exodus looking for, I am the Lord, it's over and over and over and over. So it's almost like Moses is writing the story in a way to say, that is who the Lord is, because we're going to see I am the Lord over and over and over. So those are a couple points. But yeah, like Andre said, so Pharaoh does not take their request kindly and sees it as some sort of laziness and so he increases their tasks they uh they don't get the straw to make the brick anymore they have to go gather it for themselves and so uh they just continually are crying out they're burdened now we're over in uh, anywhere from verses uh we're in the story of 6 to uh 14 but they are beaten, they're questioned, they are suffering even worse. So think about the story so far. We saw in chapter 2 that Yahweh saw Israel and he knew in their anguish what they were going through, that he was going to fulfill the covenant. But now it's only gotten worse. So what's going on, Andre? Is it is God actually going to come? Like, is it just going to continually spiral downward? Yeah, so it's, it's really kind of this theme that we're going to continue to see throughout, you know, the book of Exodus and beyond that, um, you know, God is using Moses to speak through him. God knows the plan. He's trying to explain to Moses the plan. We see maybe a loss of a little bit of percent of uh, competence, trust, um, understanding of, of what the plan is uh, when we go that one level down to Moses. And then when we get down to uh, the actual Hebrew people, we see that there's this big deterioration where there's mistrust of God. They don't like the plan. They want to do their own plan. Um, they want things to go back to the way they were before. And we kind of see that, uh, you know, really begin to, to take shape. And we see that, uh, yes, uh, kind of how Michael was alluding to, life begins to uh, become a little more difficult um, for uh, the Hebrew people in their position as slaves. Because, you know, like we've been talking about, you know, Pharaoh thinks that this is really a matter of them wanting to um, escape, which is, you know, one of, uh, you know, his biggest fears. Um, is that, you know, his slaves are going to want to leave. They're not going to be able to complete their tasks um, or maybe that they're just being lazy. And um, kind of with that first point that they're not going to complete their tasks, we see that that's one of the first things that comes up is that Pharaoh, because of this request and because of how ridiculous he thinks it is and because of um, the fact that he doesn't even uh, believe that this uh, Lord, this God that Moses is, is telling him about should even have any authority over him, you know, he decides to make life even more difficult um, uh, for the Hebrew people, for his slaves. Um, basically, instead of them being provided with straw, which would have been necessary for them to make bricks, um, which might have been the job of um, the majority, a lot of, of, the, of the slaves, of the people, they're to go and, um, you know, gather straw, gather, you know, twigs and, and other things to go and make these bricks. Um, and really, you know, just makes me think of, you know, as this begins to take shape and yes, they're super frustrated and, and they're not seeing kind of this long-term um, reasoning for this, which is that God wants to deliver them to this land. Um, they're really seeing this short-term problem, which is that now they have extra work to do. 
and kind of just, you know, thinking to, you know, modern day, um, you know, as, you know, us as Christians, we may be going through, going through things, you know, we ask God for deliverance, you know, for peace and all those things. And as we have to go through that, um, you know, in the short term, as, you know, God begins to build that perseverance in us, we're still going to have to, you know, accomplish some of those same tasks. It might be harder in the moment, but it's building towards something different. Kind of makes me think in this situation, it's kind of like you're, you know, praying to God for, uh, let's say, a new job. You don't like your current job. And in doing that, you have to, you know, do these applications. You're trying to figure this thing out. And then, you know, the job you have now, your supervisor might be coming down hard on you, um, might be this hard thing, might be worse than the situation you used to be in when you're just showing up at work and unhappy, you know, but at the end of the day, you still have to go to work every day, right? And that's kind of the situation that they're in now. They don't like that they have to do this extra work. Like Michael said, they're getting whipped. They're getting screamed at. This same level of work of how, the number of bricks that they're having to make in verse eight, we see that stays the same, but now they have this extra amount of work that they also have to do. And they begin to, you know, mistrust in what Moses and Aaron are doing. Um, and really they want things to go back to the way that they were before. Yeah, exactly. And thinking, I want to kind of pull back the curtain behind the whole Bible and talk about, so Andre's talking about the supervisor, who their supervisor is. So their supervisor obviously is Pharaoh. I mean, there's people under him governing, leading too, but their supervisor is Pharaoh. But Pharaoh, so it's kind of interesting. In verse 1, we see, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. In verse 10, in the middle, thus says Pharaoh. So we're kind of getting a comparison whose word is going to be authoritative. Thus, say, thus saith the Lord, thus says the Lord, or thus says Pharaoh. And Pharaoh acts as though his authority rivals Yahweh's. Who is the Lord that I should listen to him? So he kind of acts like his authority is equal to God's. This is kind of similar to how the serpent in Genesis might act as though his wisdom is going to bring Adam and Eve onto God's level. You're going to be like God. Or how the beast in Revelation is going is trying is exercising the earthly authority of um in the in the narrative of looking like Christ. There's a lot of um parody theme there with authority too. And so it's like Pharaoh is depicted as this seed of the serpent theme. So seed of the Abraham, Moses, seed of the serpent would be people like Cain and Esau. And now we see seed of the serpent is Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. And then another thing that's interesting is, so Andre's talking, Andre just said about like kind of bringing the story forward about how bad their situation is. But look at verse 17. He says, you are idle, you are idle. So here's Pharaoh. Uh, that is why you say, let us go and sacrifice the Lord. Verse 18, go now and work. So this is what's interesting. The word work in the Hebrew is the same word as worship, serve, slave, working, uh, servants, all of those similar words are the same. So uh, in verse 23 of the last chapter, Yahweh says, let my son go that he may serve me. This work word is the exact same. Pharaoh later is going to say the same word in verse chapter 10, verse 8, but he says, go serve the Lord your God. So the next time, a lot Many times later, when Pharaoh says, go now serve the Lord, it's going to be the same word. So the question isn't, is Israel going to be free? It's, is Israel going to serve Pharaoh or is Israel going to serve Yahweh? And so obviously the plagues and the Exodus events are going to bring Israel in, transfer their service from Pharaoh to their God. So that's a really cool textual thing that a lot of commentators actually will point out. 
But so as we continue through the narrative, we're seeing a very bad situation for the people. And again, if you if we keep working into the chapter, they don't really have trust in the spokespeople of God. They're questioning why Moses and Aaron are even doing the things that they're doing. And so it's really not looking good uh, so far in chapter five for the people. Yeah, for sure. And we kind of just see that at the very end in verse 22. I mean, excuse me, not verse 22. In verse, wait, let me just start that over. That's, that's awkward. Um, it's verse 20. All right. Yeah, that's really good. And then, you know, we kind of see that come, um, you know, re- and really start to play out in verse 20 um, when they met with Moses and Aaron and basically uh, said to them that the Lord look on you and judge because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and you have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So we see that they're really blaming um, Moses and Aaron and um, as well as God, and and they're unhappy. They don't like this new circumstance they're in. Um, they can't really see past um, what their current situation is and, and what, you know, really the overall goal is. And, you know, we, we know there's a lot of events that need to go on, you know, between those two points. But what these people will get to experience and that we're going to get to talk about in next week and beyond is, is the plagues, like Michael said. Um, but yeah, but as, as Michael, as you also said, they're very unhappy, mistrusting. Um, and then we kind of get to, to chapter six. Can I say one thing before we start chapter six? Yeah. So I think this is, so Andre talked about like you're in work and then you also have bad situations. So we kind of, so like think about chapter three, God told Moses that Pharaoh was going to be disobedient, was going to have a hardened heart, was not going to just listen to Moses' authority on God's behalf. But, but look at what God's people are doing and Moses. So in, they meet Moses and Aaron and they're questioning them. And then Moses is questioning God. And so it's not concerning that Pharaoh's uh, being disobedient to the Lord because God already told us that he would be. It is concerning that God's own people are not trusting him. And so there, we need to focus on like, where would we be in the narrative? Not all of us are Moses, but we are God's people. And so when the situations are difficult or when the people of God are being tested, it is a question for us to ask about where our trust is. It's not whether or not the culture around us or other people have trust in God as much as we want them to, but where where is our trust? And it is concerning that God's own people aren't trusting him. But yeah, let's hop into chapter six, because chapter six gives us a lot more hope than chapter five does. Yeah, and it really finishes off, like you said, with uh, Moses uh, going to the Lord, and, and now he's kind of expressing what the people are saying back, back to the Lord. And then in chapter six, as we get into that, um, we see that, you know, despite, uh, the Lord already, you know, Moses had an issue because, you know, he had the speech impediment and, you know, asked the Lord for a solution and, you know, one was provided and, and we see that, um, you know, again and again, we've, we've already seen, um, you know, God provided Moses with the signs. He, um, he sent Aaron as well with him. We see all of these things and, and, you know, Yahweh's promising, um, to Moses that, you know, this is all to deliver his people out of slavery. I mean, he has to kind of go about and tell Moses again in, in verse one, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh for with, for with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. And it's kind of, you know, 
reassuring Moses that because God is on his side, you know, it'll even go to the, to the extent that Pharaoh himself will be the one to usher them out um, of the land because of what God is going to do, um, because of the force that's going to be, be put on him, because of all the plagues that we're going to see and, and kind of the consequences of all of that, um, of all of that uh, is going to happen to them. Um, and, you know, he begins to reassure Moses as well um, with how, you know, he has been present with his forefathers. And we see that, you know, this is um, kind of uh, a common theme of, of Yahweh using that to, to reassure and to comfort, um, you know, this idea of, of this history, this shared history. And, and um, you know, Moses will, would take comfort in the fact um, that the Lord would say this to him, you know, these promises that, that Moses is aware of that have been made to Abraham and the rest of his forefathers. Um, and we kind of see this um, again take place. And, um, you know, the Lord makes these promises again to Moses. And uh, I'll let you uh, take it from there if you have any points on this on these first couple of verses. Yeah, I think there's a few overall points from verses 1 to 8. I would say, I think it's really interesting because we see God says he will redeem them. So God is their redeemer. Now, if we go back to chapter four, God said, I'm going to bring my, Israel is my firstborn son. So God is both father and redeemer, true today. But, so he is the kinsman redeemer. If you're familiar with themes in the Bible, that is uh, obviously connected to Ruth. Ruth depicts the story. The Savior is a kinsman redeemer, and that points us forward to the Lord Jesus because someone, so someone in Israel would be freeing someone, uh, avenging a murder, so we could, you could look at Leviticus 25. But going forward to Ruth and then to Jesus, Jesus is the fulfillment, uh, is the same, the same theme is present as the kinsman redeemer. Second thing is that a lot of people are wondering, like, what in the world does it mean in verse 3? It says, but by my name the Lord, so but by my name Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. So he's talking about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He says, but by Yahweh, I didn't make my name known to them. Now, people go back and they read Genesis and they're like, the same name, Lord, Yahweh, is, is in the same, is in the text there too. But I think verse 8 helps us out because he says how he is going to, or sorry, that whole next section, 6 through 8, he's going to bring them out of um He's going to bring them out of Egypt, and he's going to take them to bring his people. And so they're going to experience him in a new way. So it's not literally like nobody's ever experienced the name Yahweh before. He's just saying, you're going to understand me in a way that brings deeper meaning to my name. That's what he's saying. So that's just a lot of people get confused and held up on that. It's really confusing the first time you read it, or if you've just always read it and never even thought about it. So that's just a textual point. And the last thing I'll say, because I know Andre's probably wondering just when I'll stop talking, but if you read verses six through eight, it can always be a helpful practice to look for what ver what words are just repeated and repeated and repeated. Well, look at this. So verse six. I will bring you out from under the burdens. I will deliver you from slavery. I will redeem you. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. I will bring you into the land. I will give it to you for a possession. I will, I will, I will. I mean, my Bible has at least seven purple circles, and maybe I even missed one when I was reading them out. But it's clear that this act of redemption, true today for us as Christians, God is solely doing it. We don't, we don't participate in it, and neither does, does Israel. God is doing it. He will do it. So he promises deliverance is the title in the SV. It's true. God will do it. And after all this reassurement, all these promises, Moses goes and speaks 
to the people of Israel in verse nine, and they did not listen to him because of, you know, these punishments that they've been um, suffering. And it says that they have a broken spirit. And then we have this big face palm moment because when the Lord speaks to Moses again and tells him to go and uh, talk to Pharaoh and tell him to let, um, to let his people go, Moses says to the Lord, uh, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? Um, and when we see how um, little Moses feels, you know, despite uh, the fact that he has seen already time and time again, how <clears throat> the Lord has, you know, given him away despite the circumstances that he might find himself in. Um, and, you know, he continues to question. And then we get into a genealogy. And oh, yeah. Woo! Andre's favorite parts of the Bible. Let's go. Oh, so good. So I'll let you jump into the, to the genealogy and I'll, I'll add any points if I have any along the way. Well, I want to read something that uh, a commentator wrote on on this. So do you have any points uh, before we do that or no? No, you can go ahead and start off with that. Sounds good. Okay, so essentially here, uh, well, right before I jump into what uh, this, uh, what Douglas Stewart, I think it is, yeah, said in his Exodus commentary, um, I wanted to say a couple things. One, and this might be overlapping with what he says, but what he says was helpful. But first is that as in the Exodus 1 genealogy, the same things are true about genealogies. Genealogies bridge past, present, and future. As Christians are in Jesus, we our history is tied to the people of Israel as well, one continuous people of God. So, And remember, this genealogy also points back to Genesis, just like in Exodus chapter 1 as well. So uh, in his commentary, I haven't read the whole thing, but his commentary is very good. Um, essentially, Douglas Stewart says there's seven purposes of this genealogy. You're probably thinking, oh my gosh, I could read all of Exodus and not even get seven points. How did somebody read a genealogy and get seven points? That's kind of true. There are a lot of interesting points in this genealogy. One thing I would say is when you're reading a genealogy, at least look for familiar names. You're not going to know every name, but look for the ones that are familiar. So just right before I get into these seven, Andre, if you look at the entire genealogy, what's one familiar name? Simeon. Okay, good. Exactly. So we have Simeon, we have Levi, and there's more if we keep going, and I'm going to get to who those people are. But there's names we can build off to help us even bridge the Bible together when we read them. So Douglas Stewart says the genealogical list itself has at least seven purposes. Number one, it begins with Reuben and thus traces the lineage of Aaron and Moses back to Israel the man because Reuben was uh, Jacob, Israel's firstborn son. So it links this with Israel's beginnings. Number two, it ends with Aaron's grandson Phineas in verse 25, which brings the genealogy into the time of the book of Judges, which connects it to the successive generations. Number three, it honors Aaron and the true priesthood, one of Moses' special concerns in Exodus. That's true when we get to the priesthood in the, in the second half of the 20s, like 28 through 30 or so. Uh, chat number four is it shows the reader where Korah... Uh, got his credentials to leadership because in number 16, Korah leads a wilderness rebellion. Uh, number five, it reminds the leader, the reader that Moses was from a priestly family, tri uh, priestly family and tribe. So he was qualified and called to perform priestly duties from time to time. Number six, it reminds the reader that the Israelites were not ethically pure by specifically mentioning the Canaanite woman in, in verse 15, 
the son of a Canaanite woman after naming Shaul, if you look down there. And purpose number seven, by reason of calling special attention to several women in the priestly family lineage, it reminds the reader of the importance attached to proper godly marriage for priests, a theme also reflected later in the laws. So those are his seven purposes. And I think there's even other ones you can connect like Kohath. The Kohathites were a people group in the old Testament, and Koath was part of the initial trip to Egypt. That's in verse 16. Nadab and Abihu in verse 23, they were the ones who in Leviticus 10 authorized a fire or unauthorized fire before the Lord. God just killed them. And so we just get more and more and more of that. And so the Lord is doing so many things in this genealogy, setting us up for who are Moses and Aaron? How are they going to lead the people? Are they qualified? And then uh, we get later into chapter 7 next week, which is where we're going to see Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh, and we're going to begin the plague story where Pharaoh and the Egyptian gods are crushed by Yahweh, the God of Israel. So that's not really even my summary of the genealogy. That's mainly Douglas Stewart's, but I found it immensely helpful and hope anyone listening did as well. Yeah, man, that was really good. Uh, I think that was a pretty good, uh, uh, you know, seven points that we could really you know, take something from, and, uh, you know, just the last thing, um, you know, before, you know, I, I see if you have any, any last points is, is here in, in the last couple of verses. Um, you know, we see again, uh, Moses, um, you know, say, how is Pharaoh going to listen to him because he's of uncircumcised lips? Um, really the last thing that I really picked up on was, you know, that this is kind of what was already said um, that we oh, yeah. kind of already talked about a little bit. Um, yeah, so actually what's interesting what about that, Andre, sorry to interject, but what's interesting that you said it's kind of what we already read. Some commentators think that it's literally Moses inserted it as a repeat because it's kind of like the Oreo sandwich theme from Mark. So it's like you have verse verses 10 through 13 where Moses is worried. Then you get a genealogy that establishes Moses and Aaron's authority. And then the sandwich is closed with uh, Aaron and Moses with the same story again. So some commentators think it's a repeat for effect around the genealogy. Gotcha. I do know you love your Oreo sandwiches. Um, <laughs> that's, really, that's really all I had. Um, so that was one last interesting point. I uh, don't know if you have anything else uh, to add. Uh, just to make an outside connection, this ver this episode won't release for a long time, and it will probably release in the middle of the football season. Any predictions for us? We can see if they come true when this releases. Oh, man. You know, the only prediction I have is that uh, our buddy Dane invited me to do a fantasy football league with him, and I'm predicting uh, that I'll be 3-0 and or something by the time this episode releases. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just be kicking all their butts. You know uh, so that'll be that'll be a good time. That I don't really have any predictions really for this year. I think it'll be a fun year. Somebody texted somebody texted me the other day, and I thought they said, "Do you want to join a fantasy football league?" And I was thinking like, "Eh, not really to the time commitment. Plus, I don't really feel knowledgeable enough to even be close to winning." And then I realized that they said, "Do you want to join a flag football league?" And I was like. Oh my gosh, I'm not playing flag football for sure this fall. But uh, yeah, that made me laugh. So, All right, well, we got one prediction from Andre. Uh, we will have to give an update on if he wins this fantasy football league. And in the meantime, stay tuned. Next week, we will jump in and uh, look at Moses and Aaron going to Pharaoh and then the first nine plagues. So thanks for joining us uh, this week. We'll talk to you all soon.